This is the Powered Up Podcast, show 18. Really be intentional and plan your transitions as effectively as possible. Keep it systemized and standardized um, so that the students become adjusted to your expectations. And by systemize and standardize, I don't mean do the same thing every day because they're going to lose interest in that. There's going to be less engagement. There's going to be, um, they're, they're going to apply less of an effort, but systemize and standardize can be same place every time, meaning they access the directions the same place every time. Welcome to a real world education with insight and advice from teachers in the game, where current and former educators reveal what truly sets apart the great teachers and what it takes to make a positive impact on students. Whether you're in pre-service learning, new to the game, or a seasoned veteran, this is the show for you. You'll leave feeling inspired to take action because we are powering education by empowering you. What's up, everyone? This is Ken Ehrman, host of the Powered Up Podcast, and I'm here with my co-host, as always, Matt Brain Break Rogers. <laughs> Matt, how you, how you doing today? You know what? I am great, Ken. How are you? I'm doing. I'm doing very well. We are. Uh, this will probably come out a little bit later, uh, but we are recording this over the coveted winter break for educators. Um, we're enjoying some downtime, relaxed time. I, uh, before I left for break, I said to a couple teachers that I was working with, I said, you need to make sure that I was actually running a workshop uh, two days before break after school. And I said, over break, I want you to shut down your computers and I don't want you to turn them on again until at least January 3rd. This this break we have, we have off until about the 4th. Um, and I'll tell you what, they all looked at me like I had lobsters crawling out of my ears to quote a Christmas story. <laughs> um, and I just, I think it's so important for teachers to find that time to unplug completely um, and, and go back recharged. And I know there's always a checklist to do, um, but I think it's really important. Are, are you doing that this break, Matt? Of course not. I mean, it's, it's in our nature. And, and I think it's funny when this episode comes out, we're going to be in full-fledged uh, panic mode of prepping for standardized testing or what have you. But it's nice to acknowledge that, yes, there are a few extra days to kind of gather your thoughts. Um, I always find my to-do list gets longer over break than actually shorter. Um, but all things considered, nothing to to get upset about. It's nice to kind of tune out from data and behavior reports and different activities like that. So um, enjoying that as much as we can right now. Definitely. So we have a thrilling topic today. Uh, you know, there will be times where we do interviews today. We don't have a guest with us. Uh, we talk about some big topic ideas and other times we might hyper focus on some instructional strategy. And we are talking classroom transitions today. What a thrilling topic, but I think we'll be able to get into some detail, hopefully have some actionable takeaways for our listeners and our viewers 
to possibly make their, their transitions a little bit more successful or a little bit less stressful. So Matt, I'm going to throw it to you first. If you had to define what you think most educators or maybe even what we would learn in pre-service courses in college, what would an elementary class classroom transition be defined as? And I'm going to set one parameter that we're going to work under the assumption that it's more of a self-contained homeroom, not a an elementary school where kids are switching classes like you would see in secondary. Absolutely. So in the elementary spectrum, I think the, the main thing about um, transitions is the idea of conveying the message to kids that the activity you're working on is done. I think uh, a lot of times kids window of time, they want to keep on working if they're engaged or they're very excited for something to be done when it's done. Um, more so in elementary, they're really into a lot of what they're doing. So with that being the case, an elementary transition is a polite way to kind of say, okay, you have a few moments to wrap up your things and transition whether it's a different spot in the classroom, if it's you need to go get new, new materials or drop off old materials. Um, and uh, it comes in many different forms. Uh, a lot of times uh, you'll think of it as physical transitions there's another portion, which is mental transition. Hey, I'm switching my, my math hat off, taking that one off to put on my ELA and writing hat on. So uh, we'll kind of talk about the different methods that uh, come up as elementary transitions. What about you, Ken, in that secondary spectrum? So I think a secondary transition is easy to define. They're changing classes. So they're physically leaving one teacher and they're going to another, um, you know, depending on the level and, and the setup of the school that might be seven, eight times a day. It might be four times a day if they're in a block schedule. Um, but it is that physical movement from one class to another. And they're no longer in Mrs. Miller's class. They're now in Mr. You know, Ehrman's class. Um, they're no longer in math class. They are now in social studies class. So it is definitely just a physical hard transition followed by that bell schedule. So uh, I'll, I'll keep elementary in your wheelhouse for right now. What are strategies that you see teachers using, um, whether they're your colleagues or you've seen at conferences or, or whatever, what are some different strategies that you're seeing teachers use for both physical and those mental transitions that you described? Well, I think before really getting into the different methods, I think the thing that you have to point out is how many um, like ways transitions can look and the purposes behind them. Um, so, so kind of tapping into different methods, a very common one right now is uh, ticket out the door, ticket in the door style activities. Here's this one or two basic questions. Um, focused around vocabulary or the topic at hand that I want you to think about. And uh, if it's ticket out, out the door, a lot of times it is graded. It doesn't have to be. Um, ticket in the door should never be graded unless it's on material from yesterday to kind of acknowledge what you remember from before. Um, at the primary level, this is a lot of times song and dance, right? Full body movement, it kind of, you shake out all the the kind of tiredness and uh, you wake up the body wake up the brain uh, so i know uh, 
beyond me, but the the act of song and dance and um, your your classics like um, uh, oh my gosh, uh, the dancing. Go noodle. Go noodle. Thank you. So I know that's huge. I know even behavior management points um, through uh, class dojo or some of these other activities are. Hey, I'm I'm looking for this kind of specialized uh, feature or this um, skill, what have you, as we move in and and kind of transition. Others can be formative assessments, um, summative assessments. We we kind of try to steer away from that as a transition point, but I know a lot of people try to wrap up activities at the end um, through these, uh, whether it might be a Kahoot, uh, which I'm not a huge fan of. Um, I like quizzes or um, Gimkit a lot better, but um, just more active, hey, I can get a snapshot and I don't necessarily need to look at the feedback immediately to judge my learning, but I can look at it for five minutes and have a pretty good understanding of how well my lesson went today. Yeah, uh, a lot of a lot of different strategies there. Um, and the thing that I've always struggled with, and it's going to be the same in secondary, but that's you have much less control over this is as a fifth grade teacher, I was never a fan of saying to my kids, OK, math is over. Now we're going to science. And the just the idea of, you know, you only have to think about math for this portion of time. Um, but it is a reality that we kind of just have to deal with. Um, and that's more of an instructional approach versus talking about transitions. I think the use of movement is huge. Um, in learning in general, I was very I was a huge fan of kinesthetic learning. Um, but giving the students the opportunity to just at, at the very least, stand up and a transition is a great time if if you're not using kinesthetic instructional strategies it's at least something that you can purposely plan and schedule five six eight times a day to make sure that your kids are moving because the science is clear kids need to move and at the very i would actually i would tell my my students about this i, I would ask them you know when you've been sitting for 15 20 25 minutes do you have any idea where the blood is collecting in your body? Do you know the answer to that, Matt? I'm going to assume it's your bottom or your feet. Both. Yep. Your feet and your butt. And I would tell the kids that, you know, they would laugh. They would, they would think it's funny, but I would say it's true. And I said, you know, despite what you might think, you don't need blood, blood excuse me, blood in your butt to think that is not going to help you. You need it pumping through your brain. And so I would tell the kids when we're taking tests, we're working independent for a while, whatever the case is, if you feel yourself starting to lose focus, at the very least, just stand up and touch your toes for 20 seconds. And that just gets the blood recirculating in the body. Um, I would give the students the same strategy during state testing because there is no rule against standing up. I can't tell the whole class, everybody stand up together. And, you know, we would... I would tell them, listen, it's not about, you know, standing up the same time as your friend and, and all that kind of stuff, but just trying to teach them a little bit about, you know, how that movement is important for them. So Go Noodle is a, is a great activity if you're not comfortable with organizing movement activities. If you've never seen it before, there's yoga, there's exercises, there's dances, there's great brain breaks in there for them. So um, 
Matt, what are other brain break specific strategies that you use that are good in classroom transitions or maybe even just halfway through a long activity? Yeah, so I uh, bef- I have this image of a flash mob during PSSA going on in your classroom of uh, <laughs> just everyone getting up and dancing at the same time. I'm sure never uh, uh, organized. But when looking at, at brain breaks, I think the main thing is, uh, like you said, waking up your body. So they talk about the, the midpoint of your body, drawing a line straight down your body, kind of that uh, reflection point. And when your right side of your body crosses over the left kind of um, hemisphere of your body and vice versa, left hemisphere crosses over your right, um, it engages both sides of the brain and really does a great job. You'll find yourself yawning quite a bit when you do that. It's also the science behind why cursive is uh, usually leads to better retention, um, which is just a side note, because it often crosses over that midpoint, engaging a lot of your your brain power uh, throughout it. So um, when talking about brain breaks specifically, I think a lot of times the strategies represent something like a newscaster. The newscaster's job is very little to read the report. Um, They have to seamlessly transition between the interviewed guests or the special people coming in, they have to kind of find a way to um, feather one topic into the next. And I think that's really the power of a teacher is to, like you said, not necessarily isolate learning, but figure out a way, and it might even be within a lesson. It doesn't have to be from one topic to another, but it's, I'm transitioning your thought process on this task, this thought, this question into uh, another thought-provoking question or a different topic, different activity, a different requirement. And I think the the key behind it, I've used a harmonica before, um, just random uh, noises. I am not a good harmonica player, um, but it does have just that kind of pitch and tone that sticks out amongst kids talking, which I have no problem with kids talking in class. That's active learning um, and it's finest, but just something that uh, sticks out. Something I've gotten this year, uh, I was actually talking with our speech and language pathologist wearing masks. There's a lot of uh, vocal cord strain. So the typical, all right, quiet down kids or getting using your voice for volume you're already projecting so much. So um, on Amazon, we picked up a doorbell system. So it has a little uh, button and it plugs into the wall and has different chimes. And so you can hit that chime and it can be a signal across the classroom um, with all sorts of different sounds to say, okay, even if it's not necessarily you're moving to a different place in the classroom, um, it may just be let's come back to square one. I have a, I just call it take five where their bottoms in the chair, eyes on me, mouth closed, feet on the floor. And um, I forget the last one. It's usually like, oh, it's hands folded on on their desk. That way I know completely they've heard what's going on. They're focused directly at me. And so sometimes I'll ask to take five, sometimes I'll hit the doorbell, sometimes I'll just put five fingers up and that's our universal sign. And it's cool 
to see them quickly come back to, okay, I, I know now. And it might be that waterfall effect of one kid does it, then three kids do it, then 12 kids do it. And they're kind of policing themselves to be paying attention to it. And right. Everybody, everybody eventually falls in except the one kid that's oh, normally yeah. completely oblivious. Everybody's staring at him. I always, I always like those moments. Absolutely. Because uh, it was, it was normally me when I was a kid. Um, I so, can see that. so as a, as a secondary teacher, you know, listening to this, you know, a lot of it might not feel like it's going to apply because the physical transitions are very standardized and and set to the schedule. The kids are getting movement between classes. It doesn't mean you shouldn't find time for movement in your class, but they're, they're coming in and they leave. So there are two transitions that happen every day in your class that are beyond your control. And I think it's incredibly important for, for secondary teachers to think about how do I approach these transitions? And this may come as a shocker to you, Matt, but when I was teaching and, and now as a coach, I'm encouraging teachers to find ways to figure out how that transition can require your input as little as possible because you want the students to do as much as they possibly can in that moment. It sticks with my theme of always trying to get the students to do more than me. Um, but when I would look at transitions, I would think, okay, I need to have a clear goal that I want my students to accomplish, whether it be think of one word or write a full paragraph. It does the length and the intensity of it doesn't matter, but something that is requiring them to be actively participating in that activity. And the more I can plan, the less busy I will be. And, you know, I think there's a lot of different places that you can approach that you can apply this strategy, but the, I really try to encourage teachers because I did the same is, is, really be intentional and plan your transitions as effectively as possible. Keep it systemized and standardized um, so that the students become adjusted to your expectations. And by systemize and standardize, I don't mean do the same thing every day because they're going to lose interest in that. There's going to be less engagement. There's going to be, um, they're, they're going to apply less of an effort, but systemize and standardize can be same place every time, meaning they access the directions the same place every time. For a long time, for me, that was the projector screen. It was directions on the projector screen, whether it was one sentence, a list of items, a picture to define it, a reminder, but I was constantly using my projector screen. And at the time in my classroom, I had a maximum of 10 laptops for 30 students. So I was nowhere near one-to-one. -one. In my district now, we are one-to-one, K-12. to and, and they have been at secondary for a while. And so what I encourage teachers to do is to start to leverage their LMS to activate those directions. And the reason I encourage that is I don't think the projector screen is a bad idea, but you can really plan out your transitions ahead of time in your LMS. And by doing that, that classroom transition can now be much less stressful for the teacher versus let me, let me get my projector set up because I just, uh, you know, I have to set it up for the next class. I have to change it to a different slide. 
I have to take attendance when the kids walk in. I have to check in with this kid currently with, with COVID. I have to set up Zoom. I have to admit there's so much going on. Whereas if they just plan a simple spot every day in the LMS where the kids log on and they read their directions, they could log in and read, take out a book and read for five minutes. That's fine but it's systemized and standardized where the kids are going there every day. And so the quote behind me is, is kind of a sarcastic pun on this idea, but effective transitions can keep teachers hydrated because they can have two minutes to breathe and relax and actually remember to drink some water because they've planned their transitions out. And so, you know, the, the way you can do that, they could participate in a discussion. They could do a flip grid. Like I said, they could read a book. They could write, what are the three most important words or people that we talked about yesterday? Anything that's going to lead into what they're doing that day in class works fine. But that that standardized approach to how you do it, those kids are going to learn that system. And teachers do this every year. We set routines and expectations every year. We just might have to do a little bit differently with times like now or just in general, but the kids will pick up those systems. Are there still going to be students that walk into your class and just sit there and do nothing? Of course, but eventually they're going to pick it up. And eventually most of them and all of them are going to start to pick up those system as long as it is the same. Um, and so that was always my approach to transitions during the day. At the beginning of the day, it was how can I get the students to start working without me involved? If I have to step into the hallway, talk to my principal, talk to another teacher, talk to another student, I want to know that behind me, the third, the 29 other kids or the 30 students are, are handling the transition without me. Um, and that was, that was kind of always my approach to those, those transitions. And, and I think, Ken, uh, we, we joke about how you don't do much work uh, while the kids are there. And I know that that's uh, the running joke between us. But realistically, that, that's the whole goal. Active learning, the amount of time that they're doing uh, active work, that is the ultimate goal. That you don't have to feel worried if someone pops at your door, that your kids are dependent on all their instruction from you. Um, and so, like you said, if that is because I, I used to do a, a try to go for like a, a 5, 20, 25 ish time frame. Um, and if I could, so the five would be the entrance ticket, the kind of the thought of the day, the um, maybe the opening activity. 20 minutes of instruction, 20 minutes of independent practice, and then the remaining time would be continued practice, homework, uh, remediation, and then exit ticket. But at minimum, my goal was that they were doing as much time of direct instruction as independent time if I couldn't have that increased. And I always found myself able to create transitions in the case someone needed me. Because, Ken, you and I are... are teacher leaders, whether we want to be or not, sometimes, um, sometimes it'd be nice to just close your door, but people pop in all the time with questions that would save their classroom's day. 
and to have the confidence to say, hey, I'm going to real quick throw this transition at you maybe a little early. You're going to think about this and we're going to feather them together a little bit later. I think the, the point, the reason why, and, and we were talking uh, about this, is we in the elementary realm don't have that saved by the bell scenario um, of the classic TV show. It's not kids sitting there. Maybe they are waiting for the bell to ring in elementary, but there are no bells. And it's one of those that the timeframes do ebb and flow. Um, I, I can't tell you the last time I taught a day that identically represented my schedule. Um, but when talking about transitions, I despise them as an educator. It's something that I don't necessarily find comfortable. It's something that I feel is important. Um, but for me, a lot of times I find myself wanting to jump towards the content as soon as possible. And I had a long time struggling with, is the transition as important as the deep level questions? Um, and it is, but I also, one of the things that I realized, the, the reason why I had to change my tune on it was the recognition of how much time is used in transitions. I mean, we don't have to break down the math, but even if it's a five to 10 minute activity in an hour long class, that's a huge amount of time. And the idea of just leveraging, hey kids, uh, we finished 14 minutes early, work on your homework for 14 minutes. Yeah, it's great that you can provide support there, but that is a huge waste of instructional time. And the idea of, hey, getting everyone to wrap up an activity so you can accurately start on time with your next lesson, that is, again, a, a time frame. Um, one of, uh, I think... The reason we're doing this podcast on this topic is it is the greatest waste of classroom time is these transitions, making sure kids end when they're supposed to and begin when they're supposed to with all the materials that they need. And so when you almost peer pressure them with these songs, with these go noodles, with these quizzes, with these activities, um, and have even a little flavor of education or a lot of flavor of education into it, that takes a, hey, I've gotten everyone to change their focus and we can truly begin. Um, so you've maximized your classroom time. And I think uh, that's where it is an important thing, even though I'd rather, hey, not to say worksheets are great, but I'd rather us be on into, you know what, where we left off yesterday, let's jump right into it. It doesn't always end up the case. Um, and many times it doesn't end up the case because you're restating objectives. You're revisiting what were the key focuses of the day before. You're utilizing the materials that they're going to add. I think of our electricity unit. If I'm adding new materials today, okay, remember how we talked about it yesterday, this is what you're going to find in your boxes today that you have to work on. That little two minutes of kind of revisiting is so important to making the actual instructional lesson valuable that day. Um, although it seems like when we write a lesson plan, such a minimal part of it. And I think that's what I struggled with so much. It seems like, okay, what's your, your, item of engagement? What is your 
um, your, your way of um, enticing the students into this lesson, it seems so unimportant, uh, but it really sets the standard for a successful lesson. Uh, you hit on so many important, important pieces. And um, for, uh, in show four, we had, we had Red Oldham on, and he was talking about his approach, his activities. And one thing that he said that was so important is you have to know the purpose of what you're implementing. Don't implement one of my strategies or one of my ideas because it sounds cool or because it's got bells and whistles. If you don't know the purpose of it, it's a waste of time for you and your students. And transitions falls into that category 100%. And I'm going to try to describe this. It's going to be a little bit hard just with the audio. But when you when you were breaking down your lesson, you talked about opening transition, closing transition, and then the meat and potatoes in, in between. What I started to do uh, later in my career was I stopped bridging my opening uh, transition and my closing transition or my activating and my closure, I was, I started to look at from a bigger picture, my closing bridge to the following day's opening. What do I want to do at the end of this class to set my next class up for success? And then to, to flip that, when I looked at that opening, it was what happened the day before that I need to address in the beginning. And this kind of fell into that same strategy of what I was saying. I want my students to be 100% independent during that transition that requires as little input from me as possible because I would typically use that opening to meet with kids. It was, I need to hit these five kids because based on yesterday's activities or yesterday's closure, they don't get it where they need a clarification or what have you, or it was, wow, nobody got it. So my opening transition is going to be the direction of everybody sit down quietly and wait for Mr. Ehrman, because I want to grab the whole class as soon as I possibly can, because we all missed this, you know, this, this one idea from the day before. So I really started to think about linking the ending to the next beginning versus that day's beginning to that day's ending. Um, and it, it created that that kind of commonality bridge from, from day to day. Um, but you know, knowing the purpose is so important. If you have a ton of content for the day, well, then the purpose of your opening should be get them ready to learn as fast as I possibly can. And it could be a simple direction to do nothing. It could be a simple direction to write you know, one word or, or whatever the, the, the idea is. But like you said, really planning it purposely for what you're trying to accomplish that day. Um, because it does feel like a waste. It, it really does when you're looking at, you know, especially a lot of secondary teachers, you know, they are really restricted by that bell schedule. An elementary teacher can say in the middle of a math class, hey, you know, we're going to need 15 more minutes today. So science just got 15 minutes shorter. We always have had that flexibility. But at secondary, they don't. And a lot of times it's like 42 minutes and 55 seconds. Like it's some just very random, very specific amount of time that they have. And to think about five minutes at the end and five minutes at the beginning, it really feels like a lot. So maybe it is less, but 
that idea of the kids coming in and being independent is going to be a time saver. Doing it with purpose is a is a big piece as well. Um, but it it does have an impact on the middle. It without a doubt, effective openings and closures really do have a positive impact on the lesson. I'll never forget one of the first observations I had when I was trying to earn a contract in Penridge. One of the supervisors told me, I, I believe it was a math class, kids were working in stations, great reviews on everything, classroom management, routines, uh, but, but she said, you didn't have any closure and you need to have closure. And it, for whatever reason, that feedback, it clicked for me that closure is not just a, a vocab word in lesson planning, but it has an intentional purpose, even if it's for 30 seconds. It, you need it in, in your lesson. Absolutely. And I, and I think for the kids' active brains that are developing so much, maybe a little different in secondary, but in the elementary, they, they do really need that pause button, maybe not stop button, but pause button uh, to pick up the next day. I guess I have two questions for you, Ken, to kind of tap into. Um, the first off is in the virtual world, right? So um, we are never going to uh, not be hybrid in instruction at this point. So the the one question I would ask is related to how do you view transitions in a hybrid or digital environment, kind of safeguards um, when you're not necessarily synchronously learning? Because I think that's important as well. And I guess I'll ask my second question after that. Okay, so transitions if i am teaching you know through some type of video conference yeah with like kind some, of with some kids on there or all of them on there well and i think i think the the main question is this i mean transitions are no less important whether you're synchronous or asynchronous right what are some of those features that carry their way through regardless of the environment so i would definitely fall back on to um, utilizing your LMS uh, to to direct that. And whether it's, you know, an announcement feature or, um, you know, Google Classroom, you got the stream. Um, it, it just depending on the on the the platform that you're using, but still putting it in there. Um, and the thing about utilizing that strategy is you have to direct kids to that. If you're pasting an uh, posting an announcement for transitioning out out of lunch or from one class to the next, even you know in a virtual sense, you have to force the kids to go there because if you post it there but you just tell them, well, they're never going to go there and look. So I think it's still about being consistent. And even if you just tell all the kids, if you have everybody on Zoom or Google Meet, you have everybody on your online platform and you're in an elementary classroom and you're done your math lesson and you're going to transition into reading, you know, tell them, hey, everyone, uh, mute your microphones, mute your, mute your videos. I want you to go to Google Classroom and I want you to read the announcement that was just posted on there to provide you your directions for us to start reading class. You know, also take this time to take a drink of water and maybe use the restroom. And we're going to reconvene in three minutes and 30 seconds. And so just clear, 
clear expectations for what they need to do, but again, directing them back to that LMS. And I'm going to do that every time. I want it to be consistent. I don't want to share my directions via a slide through my screen. I could, but I don't want to do that because that's on me. Now I can use that three minutes and 30 seconds to also use the bathroom, get a drink, um, and, and prepare myself for whatever that next lesson is. So really just trying to take that strategy and, you know, getting kids to consistently follow your system. Let's say it takes two weeks of your school year to really get everybody on, on page. You know, the first time nobody does it, you're walking them through eventually most of the kids get, eventually they all get to it. It might take four weeks on virtual. It might take twice as long, but really being regimented with that. And if you're in a position where you're transitioning in and out of hybrid, in and out of virtual, it being in the LMS, it keeps that one thing standardized for the kids. Um, so did, did I answer your question? Yeah, I think one of the things that sticks out to me, first off, the amount of it is a, a, a virtual world problem, but I definitely have elementary kids that are, hey, I just gave you eight minutes to go do this activity or 15 minutes to do this activity or even a half an hour. You're coming back afterwards and, oh, first three minutes, can I use the bathroom? And you're like, you were at home. You could have taken a bathroom break then. Um, and I think that's a hilarious kind of, uh, again, current world problem that it's not as much of an issue in the classroom because you're still there in front of the kids at all times. And it's great that the kids are into the learning or into the break or honestly into recess and lunch and spending time with family that they use that entire time until they have to sign back in. Um, I think the one point that you bring up that I, I want to just circle back to um, or reemphasize is it is so important, so much more important in my eyes to utilize what you post in your LMS in the virtual world. I think um, if you, there's definitely an element of me saying to my, my learners in class, hey, I gave you a bunch of activities that you can consider doing if you have free time. But if you post in a digital agenda and don't emphasize what you used, whether it might be, hey, I want you to read this seven line poem we're going to talk about it um if you just like you said say that it's there but never reference it i think it devalues the utilization of that lms and it really takes down the entire purpose it just says hey i'm going to trust that you read it but i'm not going to hold you accountable for reading it i just i i in my eyes what i've seen is Putting less, but actually utilizing every single part is so much more important than flooding the kids with information. Um, and, and that's just what I saw because my, my parents can go and do research. They are intelligent, active, um, caring individuals. But part of my job in this, this new education world is sifting through and identifying what of that information I want them to do. And so I just, I feel like that's one element for teachers that as you're planning, you know, hey, I'm going to ask you, and it's not the, what was the third word in the second paragraph? It's the, what character trait did you see through 
that that story or what was the figure of language that you heard repeated over and over again so those are the type of things that i just I, I think are important the one other thing definitely that I want, and i just real quick i just want to jump in from a secondary perspective my my answer doesn't change you know your kids are they're not going to be taking a break from you you're they're, they're going to be coming to you via zoom or, or your online platform um, and in the beginning of the year or in the beginning of this phase, am I going to share my screen of directions? Absolutely. But those directions are going to be go to Canvas, go to this announcement. Uh, and eventually it those directions are going to go away because every day they're going to come in. They're going to open up Canvas. They're going to open up to announcements and they're going to look for what they're supposed to do. And it might be watch an Ed puzzle. And for me, I can see, okay, I got everybody logged in there. But, you know, even if something as simple as taking attendance, which a lot of secondary teachers have to do for every class, it takes a long time to do it on Zoom. It just doesn't flow well. The participation list isn't alphabetical. They constantly jump all over every time somebody comes in. So, even if you're just planning a two minute activity, literally so you can take attendance effectively, that is so worth it. But again, put it on the students. It's going to be harder for you in the beginning, without a doubt, to get them to follow those directions and those systems, but it'll pay off for the rest of the time. Just like it does require five to 10 minutes of extra planning right now, which, you know, seems ridiculous because teachers are just completely overwhelmed. But that extra five minutes, to quote behind me, will keep you hydrated during the day because it will make those transitions much less stressful for you and teaching much more effectively when you do have them. I guess the, the one thing that I want to bring up is I, I like you, I believe, um, started teaching midway through a year. Um, and you also reference getting a observation where they talked about closure. And I think transitions, whether they are my, uh, my vice or my, my constant source of frustration, it's one of those topics that luckily for us is something you can visit any time in the year. It's not one of those things like behavior management that you feel like you need to set up your system at the beginning and then you have it pre-planned. These are the ermine bucks or the proud points or any of those type things that you teach strictly at the beginning of the year. And it's kind of on you to manage throughout the entire school year. I think transitions are something that in any source you can insert on the last day of school. It does not matter. And I just, I think a lot of times us as teachers feel like we need to have everything thought of before we start. You know what? I haven't started. It's, I'm going to have to chalk it up for next year or next unit. Transitions are a beautiful thing that maybe you're not able to, to put in the time to do it. Leverage it in the, the lesson. I know for me, I don't often, my, my, schedule in the morning is very choppy. I have kids for 20 minutes, they go to special and then I have them for 35 minutes and then they go to lunch and I have them an hour and they go to recess and then I have them for two and a half hours. There's a distinct difference between the transitions I use in that two and a half hours at the end of my day 
than the morning. Because if I spend five, 10 minutes on a transition, that's half of my content time in the morning. But if I don't utilize transitions, get them up, waking up, get them moving around, doing something in that two and a half hours, they say something like, now, this is in video, uh, but I think it's important in in person teaching is um, they can't handle uh, a single task for their grade level per minute or grade level and a half. So my fourth graders can handle four to six minutes of an activity straight through. That is a guideline. Now, if they are hands deep into a science activity, that absolutely may go longer. But if you are running the same type thing for 25 minutes and not expecting to have behavior issues, so what do you do? You bring in transitions to break it up. You chunk out that activity to, okay, you're working. Here's this isolated skill. Pause, shake it out for a moment. Okay, we're working again. You know what, everyone down, do uh, three push-ups. Okay. A little bit later, it might be, Hey, we're going to transition by, um, changing materials. And then you're jumping into jumping jacks and sit-ups and maybe you're sending kids that are really antsy, really needing bonus transaction, uh, uh, transition to grab something from the office, a new box of tissues. And that's where it may be class-wide. It may be student specific as well. And so I think that's another component. And um, they they talk, and I was thinking in um, our, one of our previous interviews, uh, we were talking about how, from my end as a special ed teacher, good SDIs, uh, specially designed instruction, are usually just accountability for good teaching practices. So if a kid is getting something written into their IEP um, that they need it, Realistically, it's probably what you should be in, investing in your classroom time already. Um, it just happens to be that that kid is, well, you're held accountable to make sure it's happening. But a lot of these teaching practices, doesn't matter if they have an IEP or not, it's just good teaching. And I think even from the learning support end, as well as the gifted side, I think in our RET interview, we were talking about like these opportunities and possibilities created for all kids. It's just good teaching practices to consider using transitions, some of these specially designed instructions. So when you are around your special ed teacher uh, and support in that level, just listening to hear what are the things that they're doing? Because if you walk into a learning support classroom or an autistic support classroom or um, a uh, emotional support, they are up moving around constantly. And it's, that's why they are successful. Absolutely. Um, and, and I think you hit on an important piece of even just thinking back to my days in the classroom that transitions are happening in the middle of lessons. So when I was in a reading class, I, I was maybe planning on meeting with three or four groups that day for different activities. Well, those are all transitions, mini transitions for specific set of students at some portion of the day. So, um, again, to maximize the instructional time, I would make sure that the students were prepared for that transition. So when I said blue group, you're up, they knew exactly where they were going, what they were bringing and what they were doing with me. 
And that, again, was just some forward planning, whether it was just writing the list of supplies up on the whiteboard or, or whatever the case is. Um, you know, those all of those little mini things that you can plan out as much a, ahead as possible and be as consistent as possible. You know, if I would use, say, um, in, in a reading small group, I always want them to bring their their novel that they're reading. I always want them to bring, obviously, a pencil and a whiteboard marker. And I want them to, to bring um, maybe a workbook that we have in our curriculum. Whatever those supplies are, even if I'm going to use two of them that day or none of them that day, it was always the same. They brought it with them every time so that it required less directions from me and it required less on the students because it for the most part, they were engrossed in some sort of independent or partner activity. And at a moment's notice, they would hear blue group. They got up and they came to me and I wanted them to be able to be there in as, as quickly as possible. And I didn't want them to have to think. So they brought these four things. So after two weeks, they knew I'm bringing these four things. And in the beginning, would they say, Hey, Mr. Ehrman, we didn't use our workbook or Hey, Mr. Ehrman, we didn't use this. I would say, yeah, we didn't need it today. And after a couple of weeks, those comments stopped because they just realized like, oh, we always bring this stuff in case we need it. Um, so that consistency is so huge for you. It makes your job easier and it also makes the lives of the kids easier. So to, to wrap things up here, Matt, what is one takeaway that you have just from our conversation that you feel you didn't think of before or it kind of recentered you to start to think about again? So being one of my kryptonites, uh, I didn't expect to talk 40 minutes about uh, transitions. I'll put it that way. Um, I think we go back to some of our, our interviews, I know, with uh, Mike Creed and um, the, the concept of every moment with a kid is important every second. Uh, I know Rhett was saying he has multiple clocks around his classroom that he kind of taps into to just say, there's a, a finite amount of time that I have you and um, try to make the most of that experience. And I think the idea of what you said, even online, the idea of taking attendance can be a three to four minute task that the kids are just sitting there, not doing anything. And uh, a simple thought-provoking question can be enough. Um, it could be a discussion in an LMS. It could be an opening uh, worksheet. Hey, jot down some of these thoughts that you have related when I say this word and create a word splash. It can be something, it doesn't need to be teacher paid teacher quality. It doesn't have to be over-engineered. It just needs to reset the mind and body when it's appropriate to prepare to make the, the time you have on that topic as valuable and uh, meaningful as possible. And I think when you do warm your kids' brains up, they suddenly remember what you did yesterday. We are, we are definitely used to kids saying, oh, we've never learned that. With a little bit of prompting and a little bit of warm up, I think you avoid the the discouragement because that's that's the truth, right? You get discouraged um, when the kids say that because you know you taught it, but don't allow to fall yourself into that trap of discouragement 
um, with just some little warm up. Hey, I'm going to revisit this vocabulary word. We haven't heard it in a week or two, but we have definitely talked about it um, and use that little kind of um, kind of dust off the cobweb style even um, in a, a little notepad. I used to have post-it notes on uh, in my, my students' bins. I still do, but uh, they can just jot down information and it's a little tiny piece of paper that I would use as my, my transition if I didn't have something else done. But I love the flow of my classroom being pretty free. That was one of my, my issues with transitions. I didn't like things being fixed, um, but that's definitely a way that you can still incorporate, hey, I'm going to get you mentally in the place that you are prepared. You're thinking about what we need to, you're, you have all your materials. And the moment that we hit start and we can go at 60 miles an hour instead of that slow climb to, to get started for the day. So I guess I'll turn it over to you, Ken. What is your your kind of last minute reflection thing that you haven't uh, shared yet or something that you want to emphasize again based off our conversation today? I would just say, you know, thinking, thinking to when I was utilizing this um, in my last year in the classroom, I was a STEM teacher for the school. So I was a special teacher. So it was more of that secondary feel in terms of I had them for, you know, 45 minutes. There was there was really no flexibility minus a minute or two because there weren't bells. Um, and it really made me realize how important that activating strategy was, how even if it was getting them to the right seat because I had flexible seating and it wasn't assigned, um, getting the supplies in their hands. So really just trying to plan, 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 plan. Um, and a lot of times I feel like you're opening and closing. They kind of fall backwards in terms of priority for planning, but it has a huge impact on the center of the lesson. Um, and so really just trying to create that consistency for your kids, but also that consistency for yourself in planning for those, those transitions, because it really will help you maximize the learning time with your students. So hopefully um, this helped with taking some, even just one simple idea of a, a way to do a new transition or some actionable takeaways for our, our listeners and, and our viewers. So um, just a reminder, if you haven't already, please subscribe to this podcast, leave, leave us ratings and reviews. Um, it will definitely help us improve our craft. You can find us on all social media platforms at Power EDU Up. And if you haven't already, please become a free member today of on poweredup.com so we can talk transitions, we can talk ideas, you can share um, your own ideas, or you can ask questions as well. Uh, it is a small community, but we want it to be a big community, and each person joining makes it bigger and bigger every day. So please join us if you haven't already. Um, Matt, enjoy the rest of your break. I'm sure we'll be talking frequently, but why don't you take us on out of here for the day? As this episode powers down, hopefully we left you feel empowered up. We'll talk to you guys next time.